Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to Hey Kerwin, where you have the questions and I give the answers. Sean Milsey. Hey Kerwin, is there a point in time where you've learned everything you need to know? Oh my god. Uh, I can't even imagine the day I die thinking that I've learned everything I need to know. Like I just look at learning. See, here's the challenge that you have with asking me this question. Like I'm a, I'm a growth addict. Like I'm addicted to growth. I'm addicted to learning because the two are very, they're intrinsically linked. And so I don't think there's at any point you, get, you reach, uh, I don't think you reach a point where you know everything. Because to me, and again, I, I like this because it draws on mastery. And mastery, I think mastery is a concept that a lot of people under, uh, misunderstand because they think you reach this point where you've learned everything you can and you're the very best at it and you've achieved mastery. Um, but what's really interesting is when you look at the, the term mastery, especially around um, Eastern disciplines, martial arts and, uh, and other forms of disciplines, mastery is understanding the beginner mind. Mastery is understanding the forever student, the, the student mind and understand that you can never learn everything and if you get to the point where you think you have, you will literally check out because one of the things that I've learned about learning is that when you think you've mastered something, when you think you've learned everything you can, you get bored and you check out. Uh, and that can be a real challenge for certain people if they're trying to achieve a level of mastery. They get to a point and think, well, I'm as good as what I can be and then they check out and then you, know, you find out that you're not. You know, and that's why I think you know, whether it's sport or business, you should be constantly putting yourself in situations where you're around people that are better than you, sharper than you, smarter than you, have more experience than you to constantly bring you back into check. Because there's always, you know, the, 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 we used to have this, um, this saying in the security game, you know, there's always a bigger, better, badder fighter that you could come up against tomorrow. And so you've always got to prepare for that day because you never know when it's going to happen. Because um, you know, it's easy to get to a point where you think you've got all the skills that you need to to do all the things that you can. And you might be getting everything that you want but that still should never allow you to rest um, or to relax to the point where you think you've learned everything. There is just no, there is just no, this is going to be a really easy one, there's just no such thing as knowing everything. Uh, and to think that there is, is arrogant. The only person I've ever met that knows everything is 15 year old boys and 15 year old girls because they think they fucking know everything. But anyway, I don't have one of those yet, but I've had a few mates that have had them and dear God, it's frightening. You will have one one day. I will have a, I will have a 15 year old one day. In, in 11 years time, I'll have a 15 year old. I'll let you know how it goes. Are you excited for Noah's team? Oh my God, I'm excited for every day of Noah's life. Nice. Yeah. All right. Jennifer Gatewood says. Hey Jen. Hey Corwin. Hey Jen. Do you think it's possible to have more than one purpose throughout your lifetime? Yeah, I think a, pur a purpose is something that's evolutionary. It's organic. It's something that can definitely evolve. Um, I don't think it's necessarily gonna change too much based on my own experience. Uh, and based on the experience of those that I have studied. Um, but that's not to say that they, it can't evolve, it can't morph. But you know, I think that's like going to, you know, going to any organism that fundamentally has a, you know, a predetermined purpose and asking the question, will the purpose of that organism ever change? And it's, uh, as far as I know based on science, I think, or biology, I think it's highly unlikely that any, you know, any organism's purpose is gonna change. Although it, actually when I think about it, certain organisms' purposes can change depending on the cycle of life that it is in. So yeah, I think purposes can, because again, I'm always looking to nature. What does nature tell us to give us the indication of, you know, necessarily, of, in some cases, what is true? Um, but for me, based on my own experience, I think purpose is something that evolves. Um, I don't see my purpose, I haven't seen my purpose change too much. The people that I've observed, the people that I've studied that you know, have reached high levels of you know, success in different fields, and I'm not talking about financial success, I'm talking about a purity of success that comes from when you do what it is that you're here to do, when you are on purpose. Um, but I think the danger of this question is 
Yeah, now I know where this is coming from. The danger of this question is allowing shiny object items to come in and you're on purpose, but then all of a sudden this other shiny object comes up and you go, oh, maybe I have two purposes. Maybe I have three purposes. And my experience is, is the short answer is no. You don't have two purposes. You don't have three purposes. You typically have one purpose. You have your personal purpose, okay? But then if anything, there could be an extension of that, which will be then the commercialization of that. So for me, my purpose, and I discovered this, I feel very blessed that I discovered this relatively early, like my mid to late 20s, I discovered through the observation and the analysis of my life and just trying lots of different things that I discovered that I was most happy, I was most healthy, I was most lit up when I helped people. And I just, I could look back through my entire life and see, see exactly how those things aligned to give me the awareness that, oh yeah, that's what I love to do. That's when I'm most alive. That's when I'm most lit up is when I'm helping people. Uh, but then I had to look at the commercial aspect, like, well, how do, I, how do I make helping people a business? How do I make helping people commercial? And by that point, I was already in business, thankfully. I'd already been doing business for a long time, thankfully. I already had a set of skills, thankfully. And I was like, okay, well, I like helping people in business. You know, I help business owners. I help businesses. And so for me, it was a very easy, and it was, again, I've got one, I've got my personal purpose here, and my business, the commercialization, my business purpose, it's like literally, there's, a, there's, a, there's like a razor slither of, of, of gap between my personal purpose and my business purpose, and the only difference being is there's a commercial f a framework around it, there's a commercial structure around it. And uh, for me, the two go hand in hand. The challenge is when you've got this personal purpose over here, and your, your, your commercial purpose is over here, and it's going, in some cases, in the opposite direction. Now, that's not to say that you can't realign those purposes and bring them to in greater alignment so that you can express what is it you love in the commercialization of whatever form you're in right now. And I've had this with, a client, with, with one of my clients, Bruce. Uh, he's got a, a concrete grinding business. And he almost you know, um, shut the business down. It was already a you know, relatively successful business. He was already making money, already had team, talent, staff. It was already operating at a level of scale. But then he's like, you know, I want to become a coach. I want to be a coach because you know, I really love coaching people. And I was like, so that's your passion. Yes, coaching people you love. Yes, I said, okay, so how often do you spend thinking about it? All the time. So how often do you spend actually the time coaching people in your business? And he's like, oh, fuck. And he, you know, he was sitting there fantasizing about this thing that he wanted to do, but what he didn't realize was the opportunity to express that passion, the opportunity for, to express that, you know, that, 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 uh, that language of his purpose was right in front of him, but he didn't see the connection, and as a result, he didn't get to express it. And now, you know, he is you know, heavily involved in coaching his team. You know, he's also heavily involved with us in K2, you know, coaching some of our clients as well and helping and supporting some of our clients as well. But what you've got to understand is he didn't have to go and start a new business and try something new. He just found a way to express what it is that he loves to do uh, what his purpose is, and what he was already there, what he'd already spent you know, a great deal of time building. So you've got to be very careful now, because this question is loaded with, with danger by me saying, yes, you can have more than one, was it, can you have more than one purpose, or can yeah. the purpose change? No, can it have more than one? Uh, I'm going to say it can evolve, but I don't think you can have more than one purpose. You can have the commercialization of your personal purpose, but I think what you're going to right now is, you know, is that desire to do lots of things, and the man who chases two rabbits, on Instagram, we have the swim studio and the sea. Ooh, swim studio. Sounds sexy. Hey, Corwin. What have been some key learning points and successes you've experienced in recruitment? Key learnings. Let's start with key learnings. It is hard. Only yesterday, a perfect example, I had uh, this lady came in to interview for the EA role. Uh, sharp as a tack, you know, um, strong, great experience. Um, and she was talking about how her highest values were um, honesty and transparency. And all the way through the interview, she was, you know, she was not just giving off the vibes. She was saying, I want this job. This job is great. This is what I want. This is the culture I want to be around, yada, 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 yada. Um, and I'm thinking, wow, this, you know, this chick's got some real, real goods. You know, she'd flown down from Brisbane. 
You know, she really, you know, made a really strong impression. Uh, and then we got to the end of the interview and I was like, okay, so how do you feel? I want this job. A scale of one to 10, where are you? She said 10. Actually, no, I'm an 11. And I was like, fantastic. So there's no concerns. No, nothing, no. Okay, fantastic. So she left. Uh, and then I interviewed, you know, two other girls and I was like, you know what? I actually really like this girl. So we'll ring the recruiter um, and we'll have a bit of a conversation with the recruiter. Anyway, rang the recruiter and the recruiter's like, oh yeah, no, she, she's not really sure about the role. In fact, she went to another interview that just thereafter and she took the, the very next interview, took the job of the very next interview. And I was like, oh, that's great for her. Uh, but then she gave some feedback that wasn't negative. It was just like, oh, you know, he was a little bit intense, a little bit intimidating, uh, even a little bit aggressive, which is like, rah. Um, which I was like, wow, me, aggressive? Okay, fuck off. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but what I found really interesting is that is the biggest challenge that we face and I hope you're actually listening because this is the biggest challenge that we as business owners actually face is the challenge of real genuine honesty. You know, actually being able to sit down with someone and have an honest interview and actually give, get them to tell you the truth. Because one of the things that I've learned, which is the biggest challenge with recruitment, is people lie literally like they're handing out fucking biscuits, like they're handing out lollipops. Like it's just, it's become so easy. They can, you know, they can lie on a piece of paper, they can lie to your face, but it's not until you get someone into business that you find out if they're actually telling the truth or not. And therein lies the challenge. Because some people think, well, if I just fudge a little bit on my resume, if I just fudge a little bit in the interview, then surely I'll be able to make up for it when I actually get in here. And in an environment like this, you can't lie on your resume. You can't lie in an interview and come in here. You can't lie about being a high performer and come in here and go, well, you know, I'll make it up once I get there. Fuck no. Your, your weaknesses will be revealed within seconds, minutes, hours, at the least days or weeks if you are not legitimate in an environment like this. So one of the biggest lessons I've learned is it really is a behavioral assessment. It really is. And I wish I could hook people up to a fucking polygraph because so many people just bullshit you know, to try and get the job. And that is a real issue. And some people don't. I know there's a lot that don't. But my experience is most people do, uh, which is, you know, it says a lot for the, the area of sales and how people are conditioned to sell. You know, people are conditioned to sell by using, you know, in, in some cases, untruths. Uh, so the challenge that I have, the biggest one, is actually finding the right candidates. And so for us, you know, we've got an extensive profiling uh, process that we go through. So the lessons for us is, you know, we do we don't just do skills assessment, we do behavioural assessment, we do values assessment, and most of this is going on. And the, and the candidates have no idea because you know we know how to interview for skills, we know how to interview for behaviours, we know how to interview for values, we know how to ask the questions and you know be aware of the observations, and that increases the probability of getting the right person, but it's still not 100% right. And so that leads in there and lies to my second biggest lessons is the importance of having a strong culture. Because if you don't have a really strong and set culture, you'll almost be open to hiring anyone because you'll be attracted to their skills. For us, skills are literally the last part of the equation. Skills are important, that will get them in the door, but we're looking at values, we're looking at behaviors, we're looking at that cultural alignment because it doesn't matter how skilled they are, the challenge you're gonna have is if you get them in here, they're gonna have the best skills. And I see this all the time. You've got this one team member who's the best, they're the highest performer, but the most toxic person in the fucking business. And that's a real challenge because then for business owners, the challenge is, well, I've got this person and I, and again, most people, the second hardest thing in business, apart from selling for most people because of the fear of rejection is firing people. Why? Because of the fear of rejection. And for me, I have no issue firing people, but what I prefer to do is help people realize that they're not a fit so that they can make the decision themselves to leave. So they actually leave feeling empowered that I made the decision so I can leave. And I much prefer that because it's, you know, it's, it's actually can be for some people quite a psychological, a psychological trauma to get fired from a job. So for me, I'm all about, you know, and in some cases, if it's necessary, we will remove someone, especially if they're like high toxic and they, they haven't come to the conclusion that they don't fit. Uh, and that can sound a list. Don't fit. Well, what are you saying? Are you discriminatory? 
Look, I don't know anyone that doesn't discriminate on some level, whether it becomes down to their friends, their partners, or the people they hire. That's the whole point. You want to look for the things that you want and the things that you don't. Well, I don't want someone who's lazy. Oh, that's discrimination. I don't give a fuck what you call it. I'm looking for a certain set of traits. Okay, but you know, I think we've got this this mindset where you know, by people like tend to like to exaggerate labels given to people making choices based on what's the right fit for the business, and if they don't fit, they feel like there's something wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with you, just not right for us. When it comes to recruitment, what was the other part of the question? And what's the successes you? The successes, uh, gut, 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 gut. Always trust your gut. Always trust your gut. Because whenever, and this has happened, oh my god, I just want to punch myself in the mouth right now. I want to kick myself in the balls because there's been so many times where I've hired someone and my gut has said, mm, I don't know, man. Uh, but the skills have gone. Oh, they're amazing. They're awesome. And then literally, literally. You know, it's, in some cases, it's been the moment I walk into the office on their first day, I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. Literally, and they haven't done anything. I've just walked in and the gut's just going, you idiot. Uh, and I, you know, I'm pretty intuitive and so I, and I listen to that. And sometimes it you know, takes a few days uh, or a few weeks and you start seeing little things like, ooh, I don't know, ooh, I don't know, ooh, I don't know. Um, but I would say that when it comes to the successes, my gut, I'll tell you right now, it's interesting what's playing out right now with some of the things we're talking about. Um, you know, my gut is, I would say, 99.9% accurate. And the 1.1% that it's not, it typically is. It's just going to take a while to prove that it actually was in the first place. Now, I know that may not necessarily help you as a recruitment strategy. Well, fuck, how do I trust my gut when I'm not even sure what my gut is telling me? Well, that's where you've got to become more self-aware. You've got to become more tuned into self. And this isn't just a recruitment strategy. This is a life strategy. Okay, this is a love strategy. This is a health strategy. Now, this is a relationship strategy. The more tuned in you are with yourself, the easier it is for you to intuit and feel and go by instinct of what feels right, what feels wrong, the things you should, shouldn't do. Um, so look, that's a short version. It may not be necessarily as practical as, well, step one, do this, step two, do this. But I'm telling you right now, it, recruitment I have discovered is one of the hardest things, but it's also one of the most rewarding things because when you look at now, we've got 26 people in this team and there's not one person in this team that I wouldn't take a fucking bullet for. There's not one person in this team that I wouldn't go out and have a beer with. Um, there's not one person in this team that I don't look at and go, I have a genuine like, trust, respect, and a genuine care. I really care about these people because they are good people. And why do I find them? And again, why do we sometimes find people good and others bad? Because the ones that we find good that we like, they're similar to us. They share common views, in some cases opposing views, but they approach it with a, you know, with a level of care and respect that enables them to really respect where they're coming from. And you know, that's evident in here all the time. Your culture is number one when it comes to recruitment. And if you're not clear on your culture, you'll hire anything. Nick Risk. Nick Risk. Ooh, Risky Nick. Hey, Kerwin. Was there ever an initial struggle to take the plunge and put yourself out on social media? Oh, my God. Ever, like, even, yes. <laughs> yes, 100%. Even now, there are some, like, it's less now. But, yeah, like, I, I um, because what are you going to understand? Like, I, I'm, I'm a pretty, I come from being a pretty insecure person. One of the reasons that I've developed my psychology to the point that it is, is because I used to be incredibly insecure, uh, incredibly anxious, uh, incredibly um, uh, lacking in confidence. Like I, I just, you know, and again, I used to put on great fronts, but oh man, I just had so many issues. And so when it came to the social media, oh my God, it was wrought with what will people say? How will they feel? Uh, but then I just had to reflect on what am I here to do? Like, what's the purpose? What's my mission? What am I here to do? And I just kept on focusing on the thing that moved me forward, not the thing that holds me back. Because if, if you focus on the thing that holds you back, then you probably won't move because that will expand. And if you're worried, because again, when you ask the question again, it's like... Yeah, uh, was there ever an initial struggle to take the plunge? Yeah, like the, but the, we've got to understand that struggle is a consequence of perspective. 
you know, life is pain, suffering is optional, Buddha. And all he's talking about is perspective. Struggle's a perspective. And I happen to really like struggle. I happen to, well, hang on. I now, I'm in a stage in my life where I've learned to have a very good relationship with struggle. I've learned to have a very good relationship with pain. I've learned to have a very good relationship with failure uh, and all things of a negative and positive consequence because I understand that we have the ability to control whatever the things mean. And so for me, yes, I had a struggle to get onto social media, but my struggle was what will people say? What will people think? And it was then re-emphasized because when we first launched the social experiment, it was interesting, um, uh, there was a Mamma Mia article that came out about me where they did 24 hours in the life of Kerwin Ray. Um, and you go and check it out on Mamma Mia, Kerwin Ray, uh, and then this article was just 24 hours with me. And I was just, and I, had, I literally tamed it down. Like I wrote the article, uh, first person, uh, I talked about Matthias, called him chef at the time, it was such a wanky thing to say. That was the wankiest part of the article, you me calling you chef. Um, but it was just 24 hours with me. And oh man, I got fucking trashed. Go and check out the comments. No offense, Mamma Mia, but I got absolutely trashed. Uh, that everyone thought I was a Ricky Gervais character. Uh, I got called all these names. Uh, some chick then took that article and created another article. Is this Australia's biggest wanker? Uh, just because I had a ridiculous work ethic. And I just, like at the time, there was part of me was like going, fuck, see, I told you. you, you know, blah, blah, blah. You knew this would happen. You're not good enough, everything else. And the other part of me was like, this is actually really quite entertaining. Like, because first of all, I got compared to Ricky Gervais like 12, maybe somewhere between eight to 12 times. And I was like, that man's a god. Like just to be compared, like the people like, is this actually for real? Like, is this guy, is this satire? Uh, and so that actually, I looked at the positive, well, you know, I've got a great writing style. People love my writing style. People love my personality, my character. It reminds them of successful, funny people. Uh, and the other side was there as well. And I was aware of both sides, but I did have that feeling of, oh, but I just didn't let it drive me because my relationship was with failure was just learn the lesson and move forward. So yeah, I did struggle with it, but I, the struggle doesn't, see the difference between me and other people and successful people in life, love, business, whatever, and other people is I don't let struggle hold me back. I like the struggle because I like to lift heavy things. You know, I like to do things that are hard. That's the struggle. The struggle makes you stronger. And if you have a good relationship with struggle, you won't look at it and go, oh my God, it's a struggle. I won't do it. It's painful. You'll go, oh, that's a struggle. Fuck, let's eat that shit alive. Struggle. It's amazing. It makes you strong. Well, that's the end of the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, that was episode 14. That's four plus 10 is 14 of the Hey Kerwin Show. Question of the day. Have you ever misrepresented yourself in a resume, CV, or in an interview? I'm curious to know, have you ever done it and why? Because what you've got to understand, when you do that to a business owner, you're putting massive risk on them, okay? And you're also putting massive risk on you. But also, second question, have you ever had the situation where someone has misrepresented themselves in their CV or an interview and hasn't been completely open and transparent and you found out the hard way? Want to know your experience? Let me know below. Hashtag Hey Kerwin. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube. YouTube, Snapchat. We're all over it.